Deep shot. Oh, a dangerous throw. Battle for the 50-50 ball. Interception, Woody Washington. Zach Schmidt is going to attempt a 19-yard field goal. Oh, no, they're going to fake it. Schmidt's going to keep it, and it's a touchdown. Abracadabra for the Sooners as they find Paydirt on fourth down. Third and 11. Gabriel, deep drop. Gabriel unloads. Oh, wide open. It's for Luke, and he's gone. Touchdown, Sooners. Pressure comes off the edge. It's picked up by Brock. Decker steps up, delivers over the middle. Intercepted. Oh, it floated on him, and it was taken away in the secondary by the captain, Justin Broyle. Back there. Oh, another pick. This one's got space, and Oklahoma is out of bounds at the two with Danny Stutzman. What a read by the linebacker. Wildcat Gray up the middle. Gray pushing. Oklahoma gets in. Eric Clay showing off the strength. Victory! Getting better. That's what I would say. And they stay there. And they stay there. And they stay there. There you go. It's that simple. No one's sitting here today. And when I mean that, I mean Josh Hilmer and myself. No one's sitting here today and crowning this team as, all right, they're back. They're going to win the remaining uh, games that they have left. This is back. They are back defensively. Here we go. No, 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 no. They got better throughout the bye week. I, I think it's as simple as that. They did not play a great offense on Saturday, but defensively was the reason why you were able to beat Iowa State on Saturday. I did not think that that was going to happen throughout the remaining five games of the regular season, but I, I don't know, Josh, is, is there in some ways, maybe that was best-case scenario on Saturday for the way that the game unfolded. Dylan Gabriel had less than 150 yards passing. Marvin Mims maybe had his worst game as a Sooner. Offensively, you were okay, but nowhere near great. And still, because of your defense, you were able to hand Iowa State its worst loss since the 2019 Cheez-It Bowl against Notre Dame. Can I paint a picture for you where Saturday was actually best-case scenario? Any scenario that had Oklahoma walking out of Ames was a great scenario for OU. But, yeah, for Oklahoma's defense to be the catalyst in this thing, sure. Absolutely, I can sign on for that. And now let's see, right? Can they string this performance together? And, you know, really, even the Kansas game, you know, I know that a lot of people are going to get caught up in that 42 number versus Kansas, but Oklahoma improved defensively. I'll give them credit. In the Kansas game, Oklahoma had improved defensively. They had seven stops in that game, right? A string of stops in the, uh, I think it was the first half, right, where they had four possessions in a row with some turnovers and stops mixed in that uh, they prevented Kansas from scoring. So there were signs that maybe Oklahoma was starting to turn the corner a little bit. Now, what does turning that corner ultimately look like? Like, what is good for this Oklahoma defense? You probably have to recalibrate your expectations in that regard. But, yeah, look, Oklahoma was better defensively in a game versus Iowa State where they should have been better. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Caden McDonald just committed to Ohio State. Four-star defensive lineman out of North Gwinnett, Georgia. 
commits to the Buckeyes, and now the Sooners uh, desperately going to be trying to flip David Hicks in this 2023 well, class. that settles no, it. I, I, that settles it. No championships in the future for Oklahoma, thanks to <laughs> Caden McDonald. Text line to tell you that today. No, I, I think you said it perfectly earlier. The past two games, like what have you accomplished? Well, you won a couple games, and you haven't trailed in those two games. That's been a nice change-up uh, from what the month of October presented to you. But I think you said it perfectly, man. Like, this team is better. The past two games have shown us that this is a better football team than the one that played against Texas and TCU. How much better are they really? How far have they really come? We'll find out this Saturday against Baylor. You beat Baylor this Saturday? And let's start to have a real conversation about this team running the rest of its schedule and finishing the year 9-3, and which would be a major accomplishment after losing three consecutive games. So I think that that's kind of where we're at now, Josh, is, all right, give this team credit for getting better. How much better are they? We'll see Saturday. I think it's that simple. Even just defensive improvement the rest of the way. And look, I, you, I, everybody in Sooner Nation wants to see this Oklahoma team finish the regular season 9-3, and three, and then whatever the bold destination would look like at that point against whomever it would look like at that point, win that game, finish 10-3, right? Okay, hey, we're all on the same page there. But – you know, realistically, if you win three out of the final four and defensively you're better the rest of the way, from where this team was at and the feeling around this program, both leaving Fort Worth and certainly leaving the Cotton Bowl, if Oklahoma finishes the regular season eight and four and there's signs that it's not totally hapless defensively as the regular season closes, Tyler, from where we were to where that could potentially end up, I mean, that's going to be night and day relative to kind of what this season potentially could have wound up being. Yeah. Is there any scenario, and I guess really the only scenario where this would be the case, is if you went out and, you know, beat a notable team in a bowl game. But is there any scenario at all where this season could be labeled as a success? Does that exist or no way you lost three consecutive games one of those losses was a 49-0 blanking to your biggest rival. There's no scenario that this can be called a successful season. I'll go back to the Sooner Caravan, and you were a part of uh, a lot of these, or maybe it wasn't the Sooner Caravan, but uh, at Life Church here in Norman where Brent Venables was asked, hey, what what is, and I think he said this on a number of other occasions too, right, in, in different areas, but just right before the season booted off uh, in, in that final kind of caravan stop right here in Norman, at Life Church, when he was asked, hey, what's success look like? And he said, getting better, start to finish. And we heard that in this clip right here at the top of this hour, is getting better. If there is tangible improvement from Oklahoma start to finish and they win out and finish with 10 wins, then relative to where Oklahoma was at, leaving the Cotton Bowl, absolutely it's been a successful season. Now, in the grand scheme of things, what uh, the expectation was both locally and nationally of this team. And there's been some people that have tried to move the goalpost, Tyler, and say that, oh, I never thought this Oklahoma team was going to win the Big 12 or go to the college football playoff. Yes, you did. So relative to that, yeah, maybe it is a failure. But comparatively, you know, to where where we were leaving the Cotton Bowl, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to define it as a success. Yeah. So I, I, I guess in answering the question in closing, I don't know, right? I guess, guess basically <laughs> I just sat on the fence for you. It, it, would be, it would be tough to answer that question based on where we were leaving the Cotton Bowl and kind of what we thought coming into the year. 
Yeah, no, it really is. I, I think that that could be highly dependent on who you beat in your bowl game. If you were to beat USC and you beat them handily, then oh, there would be a whole lot of jacked-up people going into the offseason. But if you beat I, – I, I'm trying to think of a good example here. If you were to beat someone like Arkansas, which Arkansas is not a bad team or anything – but Arkansas may not lend you the credibility at the end of the season like a win over USC would. I, I, I think you understand the point here. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have that conversation after the season. I'm just curious as to you know, how, how everyone feels about that uh, with four games remaining in the regular season. So, defensively, now it, was, uh, it was a good day defensively. It wasn't a great day. It wasn't a perfect day. But the defense was the reason why you won on Saturday. And why was the defense better? What was the defense better at on Saturday compared to previous weeks? Well, they were a lot better in stopping the run. Now, I will hear the argument that Iowa State does not have any dudes at the running back position, and I think that's totally fair. But you held Iowa State to 66 rushing yards, 2.4 yards per rush. You did give up 308 passing yards, but Hunter Deckers threw it 57 times. I thought, for the most part, you did a really good job in coverage. Woody Washington made some nice plays. Um, You came away with three interceptions, man. That's the biggest reason why the defense looked so much better on Saturday. There were free runners at times. We were all going to remember that fourth and 12 play. But I think, I thought, OU did a good job for the most part of not allowing a ton of free runners down the field. Well, and look, from the Fort Worth game to now, if there's only one play like that, that's an improvement for this Oklahoma defense. You know, I mean, again, I think you kind of have to keep things in perspective a little bit relative to some of the other bad we've seen this season. And in terms of run defense, Tyler, Oklahoma was excellent. It was – and I I get where Iowa State's at. They are terrible as a rushing offense. Part of that's been Jirel Brock being hurt and uh, their other back being hurt a little bit too. Guess what? He he was back and Iowa State still stunk. In Oklahoma – Two yards per rush is what he had. Yep. Oklahoma deserves credit for that, man. They jumped all the way up to 114th nationally in rushing defense thanks to this big performance. <laughs> nice. You, uh, the, the longest run of the day was by Hunter Deckers. He had 28 yards. 28 of the 66 rushing yards that Iowa State had was on one play of the, score, uh, the uh, quarterback scrambling and getting out for 28 yards. So, yeah, when it comes to their two backs, uh, OU did a really good job. I know Iowa State doesn't have a great running game. They probably have the worst collection of running backs in the conference. I don't even think that's a maybe. I think that that's probably a definite. But let's all remember of what we were talking about at one point. All right? This defense isn't fixed. Things aren't solved. They're not great. But they've shown improvement since that Texas game. And that is, it's at least notable. You've you've made improvements since the Texas game. And that could have been a point in the year where the team was really fractured and things could have gone south even more, probably. Remember what we said. Like I remember walking out of the Cotton Bowl and saying, you know, this feels like rock bottom, but I feel like losing to Kansas at home the next week, that is what really rock bottom is. And you didn't do that. You won that game by double digits, you never trailed, and you won this game by double digits, and you never trailed either. So improvement has been made, steps have been made, maybe they're small steps. We'll find out this weekend against Baylor where OU is currently a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, what's your early week feel for this game on Saturday that could be met with torrential downpour? I think OU is going to win, you know, in part because uh, 
I have faith that the offense will be able to put up points versus Baylor, and I think defensively you're going to find enough plays here and there. We've seen that these last uh, several games for Oklahoma, right? And I don't think Shapin's the quarterback that I was expecting him to be for Baylor no this way. season. He's been way more up and down and much more down than uh, you know good performances throughout this season. So I think that bodes well for OU to where, hey, I saw the seven stops versus Kansas. I saw Oklahoma do what I wanted to see Oklahoma do defensively versus Iowa State, and they get credit in my mind for that. So with those things combining together, the game being played in Norman, I expect Oklahoma to win. I do expect there to be points scored both ways. I'm kind of looking in the neighborhood of, I don't know, early early week feels, something like 37-31. Um, this is going to be a tough defense to run on. They are uh, they're, they're, they're tough in the <laughs> interior of their defensive line. They got some big bodies, dude. So I, I do think OU is going to be able to move the ball and score some points, but it's not going to be, like last week, not going to be an easy task running the ball on these guys. The still line is playing pretty well. Uh, yeah, I, I just wish we could screenshot what's on the text line right now. That's Yeah, you can't fantastic. say that because will you guys stop texting four-letter words? Because I read these things. I try to, like, pre-read these texts uh, before I actually read them out loud. And good thing I didn't read the – Latest one that just came in. Where did the recruit go? I say Ohio State, and then F-bomb follows that. Which I agree, but it, come on. You're going to get me in trouble here. I appreciate the transparency on the text line. Thank you for that. Uh, Gunny says, over the last few weeks, we have seen improvements on defense. Our offense has been good all year with DG. We will win the rest of the games this year. You confident in that? No, absolutely not. But I, I think that it's possible. I, I'm, I'm more confident in that today, no doubt, than I was, you know, leaving the Cotton Bowl or after the uh, Kansas win at home, right? I do think this team got better from the bye week and then through the Iowa State performance. This is an Iowa State team that, you know, I, I'll caution myself saying this a little bit, but I don't think they're as bad. As their record indicates, now at the end of the day, that's a losing football team and the offense stinks, right? So by no stretch of the imagination am I sitting here trying to uh, throw any sort of, you know, parade or celebration that you beat Iowa State by a couple of scores. But Iowa State defensively is good. They're good on that side of the football. And uh, Oklahoma, they found a way to defensively. You know, I think the rest of the way you're just kind of hoping that Oklahoma can be competent defensively and they're more than competent versus Iowa State so combined with some of the struggles we've seen at times from both Baylor and Oklahoma State I think Oklahoma yeah absolutely they can win every game but until I see Oklahoma you know play well this week versus Baylor am I going to sit here and pick OU to win every game I guess I would right now but I'm just not confident in doing it (laughs) well will they be favored in every game yeah I I know that that doesn't matter I think they will too they're three and a half points spread against Baylor I don't think that that's going to switch between now and Saturday. I think OU will be favored. Um, I guess we know that OS, or excuse me, OU is a six-point favorite in Bedlam. I think they'll be favored in Morgantown. I think they'll be favored in Lubbock. So if that means anything, FPI thinks the exact opposite. Uh, the ESPN FPI has Baylor at a 52% chance to win the game, which means nothing to me, but – it's something, I guess. Yeah, the That's FPI, something. they actually are changing the uh, initials there to OU Socks. <laughs> well, they predicted predicted them to lose their final five games of the year. So far, they're 0-2 on that one. So, <laughs> yeah. 
maybe the bad FPI odds will uh, hold up throughout the uh, remainder of the season. One more text before we hit a break. Jay in Tulsa says, do we actually think a slight difference in win-loss records between A&M and OU can overcome the flat-out money amounts A&M can offer David Hicks and get him to flip? It's a very fair question, Jay, and that's why I say don't get your hopes up about David Hicks flipping from A&M to OU. But should we think a slight difference in win-loss records can overcome what we probably think is a large amount of money by A&M? Like, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. What I do know is that Brandon Drum was on the ref on Friday of OUinsider.com. He said that David Hicks' dad, like, that family is monitoring the situation at Texas A&M. And I guess if you're an OU fan, be hopeful or hope, root for A&M, for it to get so bad that they finish 4-8, and 5-7, and seven and don't make a bowl game. I think without a doubt that's your best chance to flip David Hicks before signing day. You see it any differently? Obviously you want things to implode on themselves for A&M. And if it's that bad and, you know, if Jimbo says or does some more stupid things, then, you know, who knows? Who knows, right? It's a long time between uh, now and the first signing day, the second signing day if they, you know, choose to wait. So it's uh, it's not unthinkable, and we know that – or we thought we were led to believe that David Hicks was leaning Oklahoma to begin with. It was a surprise when he committed to A&M to begin with. So, you know, with that in mind, it's the race ain't done, right? The race ain't completely run yet. Yeah. All right. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line live at the Newcastle Casino. Keep it locked right here on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Newcastle Casino is where I'm hanging out today on Halloween. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer, taking you up until 6 p.m. In case you missed it, four-star defensive lineman Caden McDonald commits to Ohio State. OU did have a hat on the table, but Caden McDonald picks the Buckeyes. Four-star defensive lineman from North Gwinnett, Georgia. So we'll see how OU can close out on the defensive line class here. As uh, Golly, we're getting closer to... Signing day number one in the month of December. OU currently sits with the number six overall class. After losing a commitment to three-star Caleb Spencer on Friday night, he flips from OU to Miami. Uh, big story in college football today. Brian Harson is fired at Auburn. Less than two years on the job. Nine and 12. He'll get a $15 million buyout, and half of that money is due within the next 30 days. So Harson going to get north of $7 million in the next 30 days. Life is good for him. I believe that makes six Power 5 openings in college football. You tell me, and I, I've got my ranking from one to six. Okay. You tell me which which of these six are the best three jobs available and rank them one, two, three. Got it. Auburn is obviously open. Nebraska is open. Wisconsin is open. Arizona State is open. Georgia Tech is open. And Colorado was open. What are the best three jobs in that in that list? Auburn's number one. I want to okay. say Nebraska's number two, and I'm sorry to pause on you. It's like I'm thinking. I I gotta say Wisconsin's number two, just based on the track record. They actually win at Wisconsin. I think Nebraska's set up for the right guy in this name image likeness era, 
because they're they're going all in, it sounds like, in that regard, right? I think Nebraska's set up potentially to be the second best because of its history and because of the commitment they're about to make to name, image, and likeness. But I just can't put it second because I haven't seen Nebraska win consistently in, I don't know, really 20 years, right? So I, I would go Auburn 1, Wisconsin 2, Nebraska 3. I actually went Wisconsin number one. I went Wisconsin one, Auburn two, Nebraska three. And why I say Wisconsin number one is, dude, you know, whoever Auburn tries to really zero in on this next job, they kind of have to have the feeling of, well, geez, if I don't win right away within like two years, they're going to fire me. I mean, they are bat, speaking of Halloween, they are bat you-know-what crazy out there in Auburn, Alabama. Now, it's proven that you can win a national championship there, and that has not been proven at Wisconsin. Like, Auburn has more resources, but at the same time, man, you got the grind of the SEC every single year. Um, you're not going to be recruiting at the highest level in that conference. And two teams that you will play every single year at Auburn, every single year, are Georgia and Alabama. Maybe the two best programs in the sport right now. Wisconsin, I, I think it's a really nice spot that – all you got to do to play the conference championship game is you got to beat Nebraska and Iowa and Northwestern and teams like that. Like, I think it's much easier to win consistently at Wisconsin. There's a little bit less pressure. You can make a lot of money there. I'll go Wisconsin 1, Auburn 2, and then Nebraska 3. And I don't think that's crazy. You know, in terms of Big Ten West programs, right now Wisconsin's easily that, – that's the rich man's. Big Ten West program, right? I mean, it feels like with the right person there, if they could just recruit just that little bit better, right, and just be that little bit more explosive offensively, you know, a couple of skill guys here and there, and with the advent of the transfer portal, and again, name, image, and likeness, I don't, I know a little bit less, it seems like, about the uh, the way that Wisconsin is thinking about using name, image, and likeness. I hear less about that as compared to Nebraska. I mean, it seems like Nebraska's all in, right? Chips to the center of the table. They're, they're trying to get involved in name, image, and likeness, but for Wisconsin, if they can just combine what has historically been a solid defense, right, with not the same talent as a lot of other people in college football with an offense that can kind of, you know, come into the modern era a little bit, then I can I can see that. Now, granted, with Wisconsin and Nebraska both, next year's what? Going to be the final iteration of sort of the Big Ten West as we know it, right? And then isn't the Big Ten yep, dissolving yep. into uh, just uh, top two teams are going to go? Correct. Yeah, they're they're doing away with divisions, so that that could be a factor. That's a good point. And I, I guess the same thing can be true for Auburn. Like this text says, they don't play Georgia every year. Yeah, they do. Deep South's oldest rivalry. Look it up. Auburn and Georgia. That's the the crossover game for both teams. Auburn's got to play Georgia and Alabama right now every single year. That could change. We'll see if they go with the the nine three format and who's in their group. But Auburn's always going to have to play Alabama every single year. And as long as Nick Saban is there. Um, you're going to be judged by how many times you beat Alabama. And good luck as the head coach of the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, and, you know, to me, I say Auburn won, and and those are fine points, and I, I hear you. I mean, the insanity meter is clearly highest at Auburn, not even close, though Harson right, did not do himself any favors with the scandal and some, you know, different things that, that happened. He 
it wouldn't have been crazy for him to have been fired before this season ever got started. And probably there's an easy argument to be made that that's what should have happened at Auburn. But in terms of insanity from the fan base, it's clearly far and away out of all of these openings. That's the craziest fan base to deal with. Yeah. And in terms of being in a stable situation when you're not always, you know, winning double figure games, that's going to be the the largest pressure cooker, not even close of any of these openings. Now, having said that, Tyler, you've again got the best resources and in terms of recruiting location, I get that you're up against Alabama directly, but man, just in terms of recruiting talent, it's it's light years in front of anybody else in this discussion. It's still crazy to me that in 2013 Auburn played for a national championship and had a great chance to win that game late in the fourth quarter against Florida State, and then less than two years later, they fired him. Yeah. Auburn, of all people. Man, I you can go to a national – Gene Chizik. Gene Chizik won a national championship in 2010 at Auburn. He went on the job much longer before he got fired, so – even high-level success at Auburn, which they haven't had a ton of that in their program's history, they don't care. If you don't follow it up with another great year and you lose to Alabama, uh, you'll be collecting that uh, big-time check that uh, Brian Harson and so many others out there have collected over the course of the past decade. So, yeah, open jobs. I had Wisconsin 1, Auburn 2, Nebraska 3, Arizona State 4, Colorado 5, and Georgia Tech 6. And Colorado makes me so mad. I, I guess not that I really care, but Boulder is such an awesome college mm-hmm. town. They should be way more respectable than what they are as a program. So okay, it's so, sad to what they are. So man. run me down, run me down your one through six one more time. I'm sorry. Wisconsin one, Auburn two, Nebraska three, Arizona State four, Colorado five, and Georgia Tech six. Those are the six open power five jobs in college football right now yeah and Georgia Tech is definitely I think last for me as well and I don't know if it's the nostalgia for me that would have Colorado maybe one tick above Arizona State the the give a rip meter I I don't know it might now be higher at Arizona State I I, and just the location of Tempe I mean Arizona's uh an underrated football talent state and it's not like Colorado though uh, Oklahoma's you know and other programs have gone in there and mined here and there for, you know, legitimate Division One talent. Sawchuck, uh, of course, is somebody that we're hopeful for going forward at Oklahoma. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'd have Colorado in front of those other two, but I don't really have a good defense for why outside of we just saw Colorado years ago win the Big 12 North, which what does that say? Yep. Well, they won a title in 1990, split with it uh, for Georgia Tech. Probably shouldn't have won it. Five downs against Missouri that year. But, hey, the record book says that Colorado won a national championship in 1990 and split it with uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, one, one text here. Back to, back to OU real quick before we hit a break. How many people would have guessed that Gavin Freeman would be the most impactful freshman on the team this year? Uh, one, nobody. Two, is that true? Is Gavin Freeman the most impactful freshman on the team this year? Oh man. I mean, he's certainly he's certainly on the short list. Yeah. He's had two massive plays. I I mean, no one would take that away from him. Um and then he got the ball a few times on Saturday. He's definitely in the mix. Um let's see. 
You had Gentry Williams who made a play on Saturday that I can remember. Uh, or Mason Thomas has has been in there at times. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm just missing someone totally obvious and going to feel like a moron here in about 30 seconds, if Gavin Freeman's not one, he's definitely at the top of the list. But to answer the original question, no. I, Barnes, I would not have thought that before the year. Barnes, Barnes would be, surely, you know, yeah, yeah an yeah. easy candidate. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been good. I mean, obviously it's been a surprise for the Sooners, no doubt. Yeah, but Javante Barnes is one, and then probably Gavin Freeman is uh, two. And uh, Getty says Canick. Haven't seen enough run of Canick. No, uh, to, to say that I don't think. And, and I still think the you know let's see how these next four go because somebody in the secondary, some of the you know the two names you mentioned by season's end, or we may be saying them in front of Freeman. But I don't want to take anything away from Freeman. I mean, he's obviously been much much better than expected. Uh, let's see, ball. Yeah, yeah. Most of you guys are saying. Uh, are saying Barnes, and I think that that is that's that's probably the right way to go. 405-651-3439. Keep those texts coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer with me this afternoon until 6 p.m. Keep it locked on the ref. I was working in the lab late one night. It is that time, isn't it, man? Almost 6 o'clock on a Monday night. It doesn't feel like Halloween. I guess yeah. it's because it's on a Monday evening. But, yeah, let's get some music going on, dude. Get everyone in the mood. Oh, the Monster Mash. Hey, uh, the kids trick-or-treating while listening to some hardcore OU football talk. No other way. I, I know we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but nothing spooky tonight in the uh, National Football League, right? Um, I, I really like the Bengals minus three, which is pretty sp- scary to me and everyone else, and I like them that much. I'm in the same boat. It's, but it's Halloween, right? So something weird's got to happen. Jamar Chase, is he playing or not? I, I know that that injury last week was released. He was going to be out several weeks, and then I thought uh, they got backtracked a little bit. Is, is he out? Come out? That's That's pretty big if he's not playing. I can find out for you before show's in. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. Especially some people that uh, want to gamble on the game. Hey, you know what? I am uh, totally prepared to mess up all week long, all week long. I like. Okay. I, I'm going to have to make a real effort to not mess this up because I know that I am. This two o'clock start time on Saturday is c- completely throwing me. <laughs> I am not. I it it just two thirty. Come on, like two o'clock start time. You know, I'm totally going to mess that up all week long. I, I just know it. I'm with you. It's. Uh unusual and it's not a normal kick time and that does lend itself to mistakes but I actually think this is something that college football should do a little bit more of is some staggered kick times here and there yeah yeah I mean it's not the worst idea especially when you're playing on ESPN plus let's stagger that thing as much as possible so I can catch all these other awesome games going on on Saturday yeah they ought but, to they ought to stagger it yeah. to you know like ESPN no kidding. This is an unranked game on Saturday, but this is a huge game for both teams. You know, if we're trying to carve out a path for OU to get on a real run and maybe some way, if it's possible, call this self a successful season or at least in the regular season on a high note, winning, beating Baylor would go a long way. And, and the same thing for Baylor. These are the two teams that were picked to play in the Big 12 championship game. 
OU and Baylor will not be playing in the Big 12 championship game this year. It's likely going to be K-State and TCU. So both teams are trying to salvage their season best ways they can. And the winner's going to have a good chance of doing that. The loser, that's going to be a lot more difficult. So it's actually a big spot for both teams. No doubt, given what we, again, thought each team would be and that this, yes, very well could be a Big 12 championship game preview. And uh, it's not, right? It's not going to be that. And really, the loser of this game, Tyler, probably is going to finish with, uh, I mean, we know is going to finish with at least four and could finish with five or more losses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, B, text line says, be ready for the possibility of a delayed start. Weather equals uh, poop emoji. Can we not wish that into existence? I know Reed Timmer is already tweeting out saying that there's going to be severe weather in this area of the country from Thursday until Saturday, but a delayed start, well, maybe a delayed start is exactly what they need. Uh, Maybe people get a couple extra hours to get charged up before going in the stadium if they don't just make their way home. I I don't know. Maybe it could be a good thing for the overall atmosphere if it gets pushed back a couple hours. The last consistently bad weather game, was it that Kansas game where Samaje ran wild? Uh, the Ohio State game in 2016 got delayed. I do remember that. Oh, you lost that night. I mean, some people would just argue that any season opener, the weather sucked, but where you had yeah, rain in the light I for would. an extended period of time. I would argue that the weather for the Kansas game sucked. You get one October home game this year, and it felt like it was being played in August. So, <laughs> Yes. Man, don't let this be rainy, crappy weather. At least have us like one nice little fall game at some point this year. Not like rainy and, and wet the entire game. That would be a uh, that would be a big bummer for sure. Yeah, but hey, big game on Saturday for OU and the special teams. We keep talking about the special teams, and rightfully so. They were awesome again on Saturday. Michael Turk, co-special teams player of the year in conference. Zach Schmidt just missed that one field goal. He, he's got – how about this? Zach Schmidt has as many touchdowns as he has missed field goals this year. That's probably a pretty good stat for a kicker, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, he might be uh, one of – he's got to be one of very few kickers, if not yeah. the only kicker nationally that has that stat going for him. I mean, he's been great. It was he's a, been great. It was a concern going into the season – and I wish you would have told me through eight games, yeah, actually, he'll have as many touchdowns as he does miss kicks this year. I would have felt really, really good, really good about Zach Schmidt. Uh, did a meteorologist just text us on the Air Comfort Solutions text line? It says, I think Saturday might be okay. It seems like Friday might be the worst day for Central Oklahoma. Oh, well, that'll be so good. So I'll take so, that for some good news. No, that's that's great news. That means I'll get my second delay this year at Harv Collins Field. <laughs> <laughs> I, you had a you had a pretty lengthy delay earlier this year. Was it in the Crosstown Clash? It was, right? yeah. It was like a three-hour delay. Yeah. So so what everybody's telling me out there is go ahead and queue up, uh, you know, plenty of pregame material. Uh, final five minutes of the game. That was my biggest takeaway from Saturday, Josh. Iowa State scores that touchdown on 4th and 12. They get within a touchdown, and me and everybody else started to say, oh, God, here we go. I know what's going to happen here. Iowa State's going to figure out a way to score before the end of regulation, and this thing's going into overtime. Hold your breath. I mean, who who knows what's going to happen here. 
And the offense really didn't help out the defense very much at all in the final stages of the game. And the defense gets an interception, an interception, and a turnover on downs after a failed fourth down throw in the end zone. So think what you want about Iowa State. That's fine. I think a lot of that's fair. But give credit where it's due. The main theme of today has been steps were made, progress was shown, the defense is better, they carry this team to a victory, and I felt like their best moments were actually during crunch time in the fourth quarter, which i that's best-case scenario to me. I mean, I think you just touched on this, but, yeah, the, 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 the biggest takeaway is that the defense was good against a team that it should have been good against, right? Start to finish, that's the big takeaway for Oklahoma is that they did their job, but you kind of – you kind of uh, ironed it down there to where, look, the offense did not, outside of, you know, getting set up on the doorstep and, you know, the pass before to Farouk, the touchdowns that Oklahoma did deliver in the uh, second half. I mean, outside of that, there were plenty of other opportunities for this offense to separate and go win this game and make it stress-free coming down the home stretch for OU. The offense didn't do that. And so the defense was taxed with situations to where they had to, again, keep making plays and keep going out and winning the football game, and they did that. So, you know, beyond just big picture, hey, the defense did its job, if you kind of dive into it just a, a little bit to the nuts and bolts, yeah, the finish that they had – was really, really good in this game versus Iowa yeah. State. So, I mean, the question coming out of it is, was this just about Iowa State's bad, or is this about Oklahoma's making improvements? And I think the fair way to answer that question right now is to say, oh, okay, it remains to be seen a little bit. You know, you mentioned Farouk, and most of our conversations today about the wide receivers have centered around Marvin Mims and his tough day. But Farouk was your leading receiver. I thought he played really well. And was it the first catch that he had where he basically got bent back going up airborne to make that play? That was the best catch of the entire day. And, of course, he has the touchdown. We haven't talked a whole lot about Farouk, but it's felt for a few weeks now like he's really emerging within the offense. And Saturday showed that again, man. I, I, I kind of feel like he's your, your number two guy at wide receiver. Heck, Saturday he, he was your number one receiver. Yeah, well, he was, and the numbers bear that out for you, that uh, Braden Willis actually right now, if you're just looking strictly receiving yardage numbers, Mims 558, Braden Willis 320, and then your second wide receiver is Jaleel Farouk. So, uh, you know, take whatever conclusions from that you want to take from it. I mean, obviously that's a good sign for Farouk. It's not great for some other guys like Theo Weiss and others, but – you know, yeah, he's been good. These last uh, two games, he's what, eight grabs and a little over 100 yards? Yeah, take that. All right, final segment of the day is coming up next, which means your final chance to get in on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. We'll uh, read some of those texts and run down what's going on in sports tonight. Right here on The Ref, keep it locked right here on the Homeless Center fans. Are you willing to say that this is the goat of all Halloween songs? I think it. Yeah, I think it is. I don't know. Most. I don't know. That's well, my most favorite, well known. But most well known. This is synonymous with Halloween. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. The song that's most synonymous with Halloween. I would agree with that. Which, pretty smart move, honestly, to, to try to put out a song that's most synonymous with a uh, with the holiday. All right, uh, what do we got in sports tonight on this Halloween? Um, 
last year, I was watching the Atlanta Braves on my phone while at a party and going around trick-or-treating with our (laughs) 11-year-old. That did not go over all that well. The Braves lost that night and could not clinch the World Series. But they did just a, uh, I think the next night maybe is when they clinched it. You, you do have the World Series tonight, Phillies and Astros. I hate both teams. I hate Astros for the obvious reasons that, you know, the same reasons that you all out there hate them for. Uh, I can't stand the Phillies because I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. However, I have been rooting for the Houston Astros in the World Series this time around, so I hope the Astros take a 2-1 series late tonight. Have you been able to get into the Fall Classic? Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched a little bit of it. It was, you know, over the weekend – kind of tough to watch with college football going on is going to take a back seat for me there to to football but tonight I'll be uh I'll be all in I mean I think it has more intrigue for me than you know the Browns and Bengals yeah Browns and Bengals uh that is on ESPN Bengals are a three-point favorite and dude you talk about we seemingly see it every single year uh, the team that loses in the Super Bowl, they go on and have a really bad year the following season. And Cincinnati, they got out of the gate. They didn't get out of the gates. They struggled early on. It feels like they're starting to play their best ball, especially if Jamar Chase is going to be healthy for the next several weeks. Um, Cincinnati, I, I think that they did just get on a really hot streak throughout the playoffs, obviously. But they're kind of showing these past few weeks. They're, they might be one of the better teams in the AFC. I think they still are, and – you know, I think it's you don't panic with Burrow and what happened early, right? Joe Burrow's still one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC. And we've seen – I mean, we've seen Josh Allen go through stretches like that. Mahomes is, you know, beginning of last year had not a great stretch with him in Kansas City. So, great quarterbacks go through stretches like that. And when you've got a terrific quarterback, which I think Cincinnati does have one, then guess what? Probably sooner rather than later it's going to get righted. And it does look like they've done that a little bit. Do you think everyone around here burn, has burned their Browns gear? Because there's oh, a yeah. lot of Cleveland Browns gear, and I don't see it anywhere. I used to see it all the, all the time at Owen Field on Saturdays. I don't see any of it. I was just wondering what happened to it if people burned uh, all those Baker jerseys. They didn't burn a Baker jersey. I just wonder where all the Browns T-shirts and uh, apparel has gone now that he's not there anymore. And everyone seemingly hates the Browns around here now. Hey, dude, once again, thanks for uh, filling in today. I appreciate you. Happy Halloween, my friend. Fun hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, you as well. Thanks to the Newcastle Casino for having me out. You've been listening to The Rush right here on The Ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans.